0: Welcome back to the Flow Performance Podcast. My name is Ricky Dan, founder of Flow Nutrition and your host. On today's episode, we chat with one of surfing Australia's strength and conditioning coaches, Cohen Crispin. Cohen is a level 2 professional SNC coach and exercise scientist who has previously worked in the NRL, including as a sports scientist for the Queensland Maroons, and is currently working at Surfing Australia with a variety of athletes from state level right through to the championship tour. Cohen's knowledge around physical preparation is incredibly valuable for anyone wanting to implement an evidence-based approach to their training, and I am super grateful for the opportunity to pick his brains and share some of his wisdom with you all. In this episode, Cohen answers the question, what's the go with physical preparation for surfing? We discuss the physical characteristics of surfing, foundation movement patterns that we all should be doing how to improve our conditioning, flexibility and mobility training, and essentially just how to nail the basics as a whole. We cover so many components of training here and Cohen provides an incredible amount of value. So I'd strongly suggest getting ready to take some notes. If you do find this valuable, don't hesitate to share it with a mate or post it up on your Instagram story and tag the Flow Performance Podcast. So let's get stuck into it. Here is a chat with Surfing Australia's strength and conditioning coach Cohen Crispin. Three, two,
1: one.
0: Yeah. Welcome back to the Flow Performance Podcast. My name is Ricky Dan, founder of Flow Nutrition. And today I'm in Corumbin with one of Surfing Australia's strength and conditioning coaches, Cohen Crispin. Mate, thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. So we'll dive straight into today's training related question, which is what's the go with nailing the basics of physical training for surfing? Now, this might be a bit of a long episode. We try and stick to around 10 minutes, but I feel like there is quite a lot to cover in this one. Um, so for a little bit of context here i think we're going to be talking about training specifically to improve your surfing performance like i'm a surfer but when i go to the gym i'm not going to lie i train for just hypertrophy i want to get a little bit of size and retain some muscle mass um but for this case we'll just talk about trying to improve surfing performance so i guess the place to start is probably what are the physical characteristics um that are important for surfing to sort of start with
1: yeah, so if I think about uh, physical characteristics that are really important, I sort of lend myself to going to benchmarking within a sport. So there's some key movements that are really important. So for me, a squat pattern, surfing's quite knee-dominant. You want a nice upright position. So being able to have some good squat numbers. Another key exercise for me is sort of a pull-up. So we know our pull-ups related to sprint paddling, um, being able to get in the waves sort of faster. So having some good strength numbers on that's going to be really important and then uh, how fast we can produce force, how reactive we are, so I go to a counter-movement jump. So exercises like this are really important when I think about nailing the basics and guiding the direction of what we do in the gym. So when I start to sort of build out my foundations of nailing the basics for strength and power, I sort of lend myself to our key movement patterns. So squat, hinge, split leg, um, the single leg variations for that. In surfing, we've got a lot of... uh, Frontal plane contribution, so how well can we uh, move laterally? So a, a lateral squat, a lateral lunge, things like this are really important. Uh, the upper body for our key movement patterns, we wanna be able to press and pull in the vertical, horizontal, plane of motion, we good control around their core. So when I think about building out the basics, it's very similar to how I build out the basics in another sport, like if I'm thinking rugby league, team sports, things like that, things are very similar. But when we come back to that benchmark, where we're trying to go with our program, uh, what success look like is a little bit different. So um, surfing, you know, it's not quite as force dominant. So what we're trying to achieve from our back squat, or our front squat is not going to be um, quite as high as if we were playing footy on the weekends and we're trying to overcome someone else. So yeah, that's really important for me.
0: That's fantastic. And you just touched on those those key foundation movements there, particularly like the squat and hinge and your pull-ups, they're big sort of compound movements. What are your thoughts on, and I get this question a lot, like what's the difference between doing single leg stuff versus double leg because there's an unlimited amount of variations, right, with your squat and dead um, movement pattern, but then you can do all sorts of split lunges. And so would you suggest the program should predominantly be double leg stuff and then do some single leg or what's your your thoughts there?
1: Well, when I think about... um... You know, so the goal of a strength and power program is, you know, we want to produce a lot of force. So uh, I might have one of my key exercises at the start of a session being a squat or a deadlift because I know um, I can load them up really well. I can progressively load, overload them, add weight, session to session. So it's a, it's a really good exercise if our goal is producing force. Now, the nature of surfing, it doesn't happen in a, you know, a, a, a squat stance. It's a split leg. So we want to ensure that we're um, – we can produce force in different angles, everything like that. So for me, it, it starts off with a key compound lift, typically a squat or a deadlift. As we go into sort of our um, second block or our third block, we want to be doing some split leg or some single leg sort of training. And I, I do always keep a foundation of single leg training because the nature of a surf, surfer is they're going to have a crazy competition schedule. So if they're over in Hawaii, they may not have the access to a gym over there on the North Shore. So if I haven't had a common theme of single leg squatting throughout the program and the first time they do it is um, as they go into the first competition of the year and I haven't really set them up for success. So that's sort of something else that influences my program, not just how much force they can produce, but is my program able to be functional across the year, across the training schedule?
0: I love that you've brought that up because I've had a lot of chats with um, some old guys at the HPC, like Oliver Farley and Jeremy Shepard, and and they were very clever in the way they would work and, and create the programs for the athletes that are traveling a lot because, as you said, it's not practical just to give them a program where they're lifting heavy in a gym every day. It's like you don't have a, access to a barbell and big weights every day when you're on a boat in Indonesia. And, and so are there any strategies that, the average weekend warrior can sort of implement as well. Cause even though we're not maybe traveling to Hawaii to compete a pipe, we go on holidays. We do all these things. Training isn't always just textbook in the same gym at home. Um, I've, and on the back of that sort of question, I've had some discussions around BFR training and I don't know if you've ever implemented that with surfers, but that can be sort of a strategy when you're away to use less weight, um, less whatever. And, but yeah, any, any thoughts around that sort of travel training?
1: Yeah, so you've got to work with what you've got. So if we've been focusing on squats, front squats in the gym, you know, the next exercise we're going to go to for someone that's, you know, your everyday surfer is, you know, just doing some bodyweight squats. You're taking a suitcase with you, pick that thing up and squat with it. Um, you know, if you can travel with resistance bands, mini bands, things like that, it's really going to help. Uh, a strategy we've been trying to implement is you can buy a water bag, you can fold that up, you can put it in your suitcase, you know, you get to the hotel, you fill that thing up, and that could be anywhere from 5 to 40 kilos. So you've, you've got some work, you've got some, you've got some resistance there you can work with. Um, you know, it comes to the upper body, you know, going go to your classics like push-ups, finding somewhere to do a pull-up, traveling with a, you know, a TRX that you can put in the door frame just working with what you got, you know, the, the everyday surfer, they're probably only going to be going on four weeks leave a year. So just getting something going is going to be really important and then making sure that they're, they're including some sort of, you know, mobility into that travel program, because, you know, you go away for that four weeks on a surf trip, your surf load spikes through the roof. You want to make sure that you're prepared to uh, perform every day at your best. So I think that's really important when it comes to the BFR, you know, This is something we we use quite a lot in our rehab space, Um, you know, coming back from an injury, um, you know, we want to get the hypertrophy back, we can't load them up. So, you know, BFR is really important. Uh, We've got a number of athletes that use it on the road and it's just ensuring that we've sort of educated them around, you know, using it safely, what pressure they should be using and things like that.
0: Yeah, it's cool you mentioned that. Um, One of my best mates, Charlie Davids, did his whole PhD in BFR, and he's going to be on the podcast very soon. So I'm hoping we can get some more exact numbers around that for people who have access to to BFR bands. And and we were just chatting the other day about that, actually. And you can even do it just with, like, making your own BFR. It's it's a lot less scientific and accurate for obvious reasons. Um, But, yeah, you can make the most of what you just said. Make the most of what you have. Something's better than nothing, right? Yeah,
1: I, I, certainly where I started, like when I started playing with it, I was getting the uh, midi bands, doubling them up, putting them on the leg. But you, you quickly um, realize you want to come back to best practice. And you know, a two hundred dollar investment for the BFR cast to ensure you or your athletes are training safely really important. You know, training safely means we can do things more regularly, more effective. And you know, two hundred dollar investment for being able to train for six months on the road, utilizing that. You know, it's a pretty cheap investment if we think of how much it is for a weekly gym membership.
0: Absolutely, but yeah, a little service announcement: don't go out there and start wrapping your arms <laughs> and legs in uh, definitely not tourniquets. Let's um, let's wait until Charlie's episode comes out and we can get some some scientific rigor behind that statement. Understand? Um, but when it, let's just stay on this on the strength component um, for one last little question here. You've you've nailed all the stuff for upper and lower body. What about the core? Am I getting anything from just doing my 50 sit-ups in the morning every morning or are they, are there better ways to train the core for surfing? What are your sort of thoughts on that?
1: Well, we, again, like, like the upper body and the lower body, we want to train every sort of, um, pattern. So, you know, we want to be, you know, flex, extend, lateral flex. We want to be able to resist, um, our motions both, you know, uh, flexion extension lateral flexion we want to be, re- be able to resist those motions so you know for a young athlete we might be starting with things like bridging planking we are still going to keep in the classics like um, sit-ups you know lateral flexion rotational wood chops and things like that because the nature is with surfing you're in this sort of extended position you know if you've got really good mobility it's coming from the thoracic but your everyday surf is probably not going to have that or they're going to get tired quite quick so going to be coming from the lower back from the neck so we want to make sure that these athletes that are probably getting quite a lot of lower back sort of load that they can move in each sort of pattern they can flex they can extend they can lateral flex they can rotate for me you know working all these planes having good strength from all these planes both you know through sort of an isotonic movement or being able to hold in a static position you know this sort of comes to being a really well-rounded robust person
0: yeah there's a there's a couple of very interesting things and discussions I've heard around training core. W- one of them comes back to this whole balance training thing and you see people that are, that have a barbell on their back. They're trying to squat 60 kilos on a BOSU ball and you just see a lot of shit like that in, in board sports in general. You see it in skating and snowboarding, particularly in surfing. And the claims they're making are around it's training the core and stability and there's a lot of... Um, Direct correlations people make between if you're training stability, you're training the core. If you're training one, you're training the other. Is, is there any merit to doing balance training for that purpose?
1: For me, for me there's not. Like, for me, I think about um, if I bring it back to sport, how do we produce force? Like We're producing force on a solid object like surfing. The faster the board's going, the more stability the board has. So when I think of balance training, standing on something unstable, it, it doesn't really, like, uh, have a place in the programs I design, you know. It's a bit of fun. Like, if, if you've got to get some adherence to a program and the athlete wants to um, do a bit, a couple of single leg balances on a beam or something like that, maybe you've got to throw it in. Mm-hmm. But if it comes to core training, I'm going to isolate it and then I'm going to integrate it into other movements. Yeah,
0: Simple as that. Well, by not having a stable surface, you're automatically reducing the amount of force you exactly. can produce. And so... That's why like, I, I don't like to just judge by seeing something pop up on social media and going, oh, they have no idea what they're doing because there is some sort of merit into like maybe it's injury, coming back from an injury, you're doing some sort of progression where it's an unstable surface. But for people who are trying to improve strength, that is just a definite no. Like you're not going to improve, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, like if we're sitting on the performance side, you know, balance training is probably not going to make it in there. If we're in the rehabilitation place and that we need some proprioception, you know, there's gonna be, that's got its time and its place, but the nature of a surfer, they stand on a surfboard on, and they're skimming along the wave. They're they're the masters of balance. They're getting it from their sport every day. How much more do they need to train it? And if we're thinking of professional surfers, you you know, they make their livelihood from surfing, putting them on a BOSU ball with a barbell on their back, super dangerous. Like you wouldn't treat any, other, you know, asset like that, would you? You wouldn't, you wouldn't endanger another asset. So you want to ensure you're getting your bang for buck with your training, and you, you never doing any harm through the training process, because ultimately you want them to be able to perform on the water and never take anything away from that.
0: Yeah, geez, you wouldn't want to see that as a sponsor, would
1: you?
0: <laughs> I'm just thinking, give, give Flow Nutrition a few years, and we'll have some big names under, yeah. under our belt. And if I saw one of my athletes doing that, you'd, you'd start getting nervous, wouldn't you? oh 100%,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's amazing. Um, the the C part in S and C, right? We've got the conditioning, which no one wants to hear, but it's a fact we need it when we're surfing. We expend so much energy out in the water. There's some really good research, particularly from Ollie Farley, that's looked at what we're doing in the water. Is our if if we're surfing the two to three days a week, let's say, is that going to be enough conditioning for us, or should we be going for runs? jumping in the pools, doing swimming programs. What are your sort of thoughts around that conditioning side of surfing?
1: I think it's really important. Like if we, if we look at surfing, um, you know, we might have one high intensity, um, effort, catch a wave, you paddle back out. If you're just an everyday surfer, you might still be sitting there for another 20 minutes. So your heart rate's going to be sitting quite low. So your overall work in a 30, 30 minute surf, an hour surf, you're not getting a lot done if, if you know, you're on a beach break, maybe if you're on the point and you're consistently paddling, you're getting a little bit more work. Um, for me, even if you are doing that work, I want to build a larger larger capacity so you've got more opportunities to be successful. When you actually get on the board, you, you're ready to go rather than you're just tired from paddling for the last 20, 30 minutes. So i come back to some of my principles. So, you know, uh, I want to build aerobic capacity, first of all. So I want to spend some time on a modality you feel comfortable with for surfers, I don't lend myself to running too often, you know.
0: I've seen some surfers run before and there's a pretty good reason. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Any Anytime you see a run around, you sort of realize oh. why, they're, why they're not runners. Yeah. But um, I lend myself to off-fit conditioning. So I'm going to utilize a, a, an objective test like a ramp test or a uh, max aerobic power test, time trial, something like that. So I can get some sort of figures on either the heart rate zones they're going to be working at or um, what sort of watts I could expect on a watt bike or a, a rower and things like that. Build out an aerobic base, go to some more aerobic power and then you know finish off with some um, high-intensity intervals. That's sort of how, if in a perfect world, I would progress my conditioning plan. But again, the nature of surfing is for the elite level, I might get them for a four-week block. You know, So building that aerobic capacity, it just we might not have enough time, so we might lend ourselves to high intensity intervals to, um, you know, develop that base, um, get a conditioning stimulus, and hopefully have an impact on their ability to be able to compete better, to be, have a um, bigger base.
0: What you've just said there is amazing. Uh, what sort of actual modes of exercise are we talking about there when you talk about all of those sessions? Are we on a Watt bike? Like what are the actual exercises they're doing then if it's not running?
1: So for me, I, I love the Watt bike. Um, we, we've got a skier, we've got a rower, we might do boxing. We, we try and be as objective as possible, um, you know, some having some numbers around that. So. Um, uh, you know, what, what's they're hitting on the, what bike, what distance we want them to cover on the row or the ski erg? what heart rate zone we want them to be at when boxing. Um, you know, you, you want people to enjoy the training process. The nature with surfers is they don't need to engage in our program. So we, we want the, um, we want to help them as much as possible. We want to be objective, but we want to enjoy the training process. So we might mix modality. So we might do five minutes on the, um, what bike. With some varied intervals, we might throw them on the rower, varied intervals, get them boxing, make it a really enjoyable process while still achieving the goal that we set, which might be an aerobic base. It might be, um, you know, more aerobic power, whatever that um, goal is or that priority for the session, we try and make the training process as enjoyable as possible.
0: Yeah, that is, that is so important. And for any young exercise science graduates out there, I don't think they put enough emphasis on that at uni. Like, you could make the best program in the world, but if they have no interest in it or if they're not going to do it, there's no point, right? And so, I think that's where you, you learn as a coach to actually understand your athlete, your client, your whatever, and what are they going to enjoy. And that, in my eyes, should be the number one thing, right?
1: Uh, absolutely. I, I remember back when I interned with Paddle Australia. So, sort of in my first two weeks, I uh, got the opportunity to write a program for one of the sort of elite paddlers. And I'm like, looking at all the research, I'm like, this is the best program for a sprint kayaker, I showed him the program. He's like, nah, I hate it. I don't do chin-ups. It flares my neck up. I don't do this exercise. It flares my back up. Tore it to shreds. I looked at his old program. He's like, yeah, I like that one. We'll we'll add those exercises. So I learned pretty quickly on in that internship, like speak to the athlete. What do they enjoy doing? Because if they enjoy, uh, you know, doing pull-ups or they enjoy lat pull-down instead, you know, they're going to be more bought into that process. It's going to be easier to progressively overload it. It's going to be easier to you know, build that adherence to what we're trying to do.
0: Especially with surfers, because if, if it's pumping at Kira for a week, you have to have a pretty convincing story as to why they have to come in and do a do a strength session. <laughs> 100%. percent it, It's They're taken pretty on. stubborn, those bloody surfers. <laughs> Absolutely. And
1: it's taken a while to um, build that buy-in. But we now regularly have athletes turning up to the gym at 5.30, 6 in the morning to get their session in, obviously at a reduced volume, but get it in and then, you know, go and enjoy yourself, go out and kira uh, get mm. barreled.
0: Love that. Um, the last thing we'll touch on here is around and it's a bit of a personal question because I I hate stretching. I <laughs> I, I love m- my body's a temple. I love going to the gym. I love doing exercise, but stretching is just so unappealing to me. I know how important mobility is for surfing, mobility and flexibility. Um is just simply doing five to 10 minutes of just static stretching a day going to be doing any good? What what would you suggest for like the weekend warrior that wants to, wants to feel better and, you know, not perform at the elite level but just improve their surfing a little bit? What sort of mobility stuff would you recommend?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, not everyone's going to have the time to do a dedicated 30, 40-minute mobility session. So it's sort of looking at what you do across the week and where you can put that in. So if you're going for three surfs a week, what are you doing before you surf? Are you adding in some mobility so that you feel better for the um, surf they're about to go on, you know, proactive approach, proactive approach. If you're sitting there each night, you know, you just watch two hours of TV, you know, do you get down and do a couple of stretches on some of our um, key areas? So like in surfing, we want good ankle range. We want good hip range. We want good thoracic range, you know if we can improve that, you're going to see a noticeable change pretty quickly. So if you can extend through your thoracic really well, you can get into a better paddling position. So I think, first of all, finding time when you can build that into your week and things you're already doing. And then what do you do within your gym session? So, you know, if, you, if you're going to the gym and you're doing some pull-ups, what are you doing in your rest period? Are you sitting there looking at your phone? Or could we be doing some thoracic mobility to, um, you know, build that out as well? So... Maybe it's not the 45 minutes of stretching or the 10 minutes, but it's building it into your actual week and the time you're already utilizing to sort of better yourself.
0: For those out there that do enjoy that sort of thing, is there is one better than the other? Would you prefer doing a big block of 45 minutes twice or three times a week compared with little bits here and there?
1: It, it, yeah, it, it depends. Like if I wanted to make a um, big change in someone's mobility, I need to dedicate time to it if I want to maintain something and make slight improvements little increments across the week are probably going to be better yeah
0: yeah amazing look mate that's oh 20 minutes there was so much we covered in there (laughs) but yeah mate that was fantastic thank you so much for that Um, once again thank you very much for your time and sharing your knowledge here if anyone does have any further questions uh, don't hesitate to send us a message at flow nutrition or you can hit cohen up on instagram directly at coach underscore cohen crispin that's yep, awesome one? That's it. Beautiful. Um, and yeah, he'll, I'm sure, answer any questions that you have of as course. well. Always down for a chat. Um, and he also has some really cool content on there as well. And um, do you have some programs I've seen on your little link tree?
1: Yeah, I've got a couple of programs on there. Yep. Um, a bit of S&C, private sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, cool. And is that that for like recreational surfers, competitive surfers?
1: Only for sort of that recreational, yeah. yeah. only sort of do the competitive stuff within uh, this context of surfing Australia.
0: Yeah, sweet, righto. Yeah, so make sure you jump on there, check it out. And thank you everyone for tuning in. We will catch you again next week to answer more of your questions. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Flow Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat and found loads of value that you can use to fuel more flow state in your life. If you did enjoy the content and want to support the podcast, don't forget to give it a five star rating, leave a review or even better, share it to a mate, post it up on your Instagram story and tag Flow Performance Podcast. We really do appreciate any support in getting this content out into the world. So thanks again for tuning in and we will catch you again next week.